This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Order now, folks. Order. Come on now. I need order in this room. Members of the jury, how do you find the defendant? It's a sweltering hot day in June of 1907 in the town of Leavenworth, Washington, and you've been selected to be a member on the jury of a murder trial, Leavenworth versus Davis. The other members of the jury have appointed you as the jury foreman. You weren't happy to take on this role, but as a proprietor of the largest saloon in town, they felt you were the best choice as you managed people and patrons on a daily basis. In short, you know how to talk with people, objectively, and keep the peace in your establishment. Your no-nonsense approach to conflict has awarded you the unofficial title of Town Peacekeeper. And today, even though you know Davis and the victim, McGee, there's not much of a choice for unbiased jury members in a small logging and mining town. And so, this is your plight. The jury of 12 only took a few hours to come to a decision, but after days of testimony from family members of both sides, you came to a conclusion. <clears throat> Your Honor, we the jury find the defendant, William Lee Davis, not guilty due to insanity. The crowd breaks out in shouting and anger, showing the division that has torn this town in two over the recent days of the trial. Fights have broken out in the streets, and as you announce your finding, fights break out in the courtroom. A few shots are fired at the ceiling, and splinters of wood rain down on the crowd. You and the other jury members duck and make your way out the back door of the courtroom and into the street. That did not go how I hoped it would go. I know. Did you see McGee's brother waving around his pistol? Someone else is surely going to die. Listen, let's head out. We're definitely in danger. McGee's supporters won't rest until they think Davis is brought to justice. Maybe insanity wasn't the way to go. Maybe we should have found him guilty of murder in the first and let the law deal with him. Don't say that. If anyone hears you, they'll think we weren't sure of our decision. And we did the right thing. Davis is insane. You saw it in his eyes, and that wicked smile on his face when the witnesses described his attack on McGee. Come on, let's head to the Bisbee and grab a drink. Nah, I'm heading home to grab my gun and lock up. I don't trust this crowd. I think a mob might be after us. Well, fine, you go home, and we'll head over for a drink. I'm not worried at all, but if you are, then you do what's best for you and yours. You and the two other jurors head down the dirt road called Front Street and leave the other nine jurors standing in the shadow of the courthouse arguing over their next move. Did you see the look in Judge Steiner's eyes? He didn't buy the jury's decision. I think he's going to go public with his disagreement. Yeah, he looked really upset. I don't blame him, but I do think we made the right decision. I'm not so sure. The three of you head into the Bisbee and walk up to the bar. Hey, uh, Tom, three whiskeys. You got it, fellas. 
So, uh, you happy how it turned out? Yes and no. I think Davis will appeal. The judge is going to have to give him life in an asylum. I don't think he'll go for that. Yeah, yeah, I bet he pleads guilty at the appeal. Just so we can face a shorter sentence. He'll probably plead guilty of murder in the second. That's not life in these parts. Well, whatever happens, I'm keeping my gun near me, that's for sure. You each throw back another drink and stand in silence. You can hear a small crowd coming your way. This is not a good sign. They sound angry and out for blood. A small group of men and women push their way through the doors of the Bisbee Saloon. There those bastards are! What do you mean finding Davis not guilty due to insanity? You all must be insane too! No, no, hold on! We just did what we thought was right! Was right? My brother is dead because of Davis, and you expect me to sit back and watch him live a long life just because he's insane? You son of a bitch! I'm not having it! Get over here! McGee's brother throws a right hook that lands on your left cheek, just below the eye. You see stars before your eyes and fall back. The other members of the crowd start kicking you and grab the other jurors, throwing them around and landing punches wherever they can. You feel a warm line of liquid flow from your nose into your mouth, and as you lie back on the floor, you take kicks in the ribs and the legs. You see your friend grab his belt and raise it over his head. He starts whipping you, and on the third hit, the metal buckle lands on your forehead. You can only see tunnel vision, and you are sure you're about to pass out. You close your eyes, wishing you and the jury had made a different decision, and listen to the angry crowd beating up on the others. This is not what you thought the court system of the United States was supposed to represent. But then again, no system is perfect. Maybe this is McGee's way of reaching out from the grave and getting back at you. Maybe the ghost of John McGee has come to haunt you, and you'll never find peace. Mountain Media, I'm your host and writer, Russ Blackmore, and this is Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest, Season 1, Ghosts and Shadows of Leavenworth, a four-part series that takes you into the unknown history of the quaint Bavarian mountain town in central Washington state. If you haven't listened to the first three episodes, head on back to hear accounts of spirits that haunt the town. This is Episode 4, The Devil's Bargain. Tensions often ran high in the town of Leavenworth, Washington, especially during the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Fires destroyed the city constantly, miners were perishing below the hills, and business owners came and went, never settling down to keep consistency in the town. It seemed that everywhere you looked, people were coming and going, rarely satisfied with the cards they were dealt, and seeking quickly attained fortunes, which were nearly impossible. Native Americans were becoming part of the town, and while few supported the idea of integration, racism and segregation also ran rampant in the streets. Chinese citizens that had come over to help build the railways were often left to fend for themselves when the work ran out. And this bothered many of the white citizens of small towns across the Pacific Northwest, 
but they also felt that the land was somehow their birthright, forgetting that they too were descendants of immigrants. The hypocrisy of race relations was alive and well, as it is today, and classism and prejudice would never go away. In fact, it would continue to grow. With these high tensions, arguments were a common occurrence at the end of each long workday, especially in the bars and saloons where workers often spent their earnings trying to escape their harsh realities. Alcohol would loosen the tongue and encourage hot tempers. Guns were a part of life, with most townsfolk carrying a sidearm. But the gun violence was not as horrible as the stories from neighboring towns surrounding Leavenworth. After all, this wasn't the Wild West. But it was a land where disappointment and hardship stirred the angry spirits of explorers and entrepreneurs pursuing their destiny of prosperity. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever felt like you're in a tunnel? The sides are closing in on you. You're unable to escape the overwhelming feelings of unhappiness, anger, worry, or fear. I have, many times. Over the years, I've tried to solve my own problems, lean on myself, and suppress the depression of my past and the anxiety of my future. But then I decided to do something about it. And while I'm still a work in progress, I know that without getting help, those invisible monsters would reach for any opportunity they can to consume me. They still do. But with online therapy, I'm conquering those monsters. And it feels good. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or, or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work. Maybe you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better. Because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself, because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash PNW. That's betterhelp.com slash PNW. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. In 1904, two gentlemen by the names of Smith and Tollin spent nearly $3,000 on refitting and updating a bar that had faced fires, flooding, and brigands. The opera bar was refitted with cherry wood furniture, golden fixtures, and a gold plate sign to give the appearance of lavish lifestyles that was within everyone's grasp in Leavenworth. The goal was to create the most extravagant and luxurious drinking establishment in the area. And it was. But the owners knew that with the hardship of the hills, many would not be able to frequent the bar, and so they created a scene that appeared exclusive, but was open to everyone. This provided a sense of pride and accomplishment in the town, and the bar grew with the population, dodging bankruptcy and fire to which many other bars succumbed. However, this would soon become known as a devil's bargain, 
For without the presence of authority in the bar, and opening the bar to those who were coming directly off the lumber mill line or out of the mining caves, tempers were often high, and anger floated above the bar patrons like an impending cloud of rain. It was a hot night in the middle of June in 1907, when an inebriated man walked into the opera bar, brandishing his 38 caliber gun and waving it about, shouting about the cruelness of the world and the unfair gains that he had suffered. One of his minds had collapsed just when he had found a vein of copper, and his dreams of quickly attained treasure were snatched from the dreams that were within his grasp. He fired a few shots at the ceiling and then started to wave his gun around at the bystanders that were partaking in their daily nightcaps. Davis noticed a man named John McGee gawking at him with a look of arrogant dismissiveness. Davis immediately walked up to McGee and started slapping him around. Apparently, one of Davis's co-workers had a run-in with McGee and had told Davis all about it. Davis, whose judgment was fleeting due to the multiple drinks he had consumed, saw this as an opportunity to take out his frustrations on McGee. He started shoving McGee around, who protested and struggled to avoid the beating, and continued on in this fashion for five to ten minutes. No one stepped in to help as they had seen the gun Davis had been waving around and felt it safer to stand back or run out of the bar. Davis stepped away from McGee finally, and then rushed him and buffaloed McGee on top of the head twice with the butt of his gun. McGee fell to the ground, clutching his bleeding head where he had been struck, and raised his other hand toward Davis, pleading him to stop. Davis aimed his gun at McGee's face, cocked the hammer of the gun, and fired. McGee collapsed to the ground. As the few that remained stood in shock, a railroad worker who was a regular at the bar flew at Davis, trying to grab his gun. They struggled over the weapon, but ultimately, Davis kept hold. He held the gun a few inches from the railroad worker's face and fired. Twice. But the chamber was empty. The worker had escaped near death. As Davis inspected his gun in his drunken state, and the deputy sheriff Platt rushed Davis and tackled him to the floor, he threw Davis in shackles and left him sitting against the bar and then scurried to McGee's side. McGee was still alive and was quickly taken to the only doctor in town by the name of Hoxie, where his injury was inspected. Dr. Hoxie was able to keep McGee alive overnight, but the next morning, he passed away. Davis was taken to the nearby town of Wenatchee to be booked, and McGee, a hard-working carpenter from Seattle, was buried in the nearby cemetery. Davis, originally from Kentucky, had been on a two-week drinking binge and was now known throughout the town of Leavenworth as a wildly unpredictable individual who would fly off the handle at anyone and anything. In short, his behavior was troubling, but was common and accepted as normal from those that knew him. A trial took place later that year which lasted only a few days. The jury found Davis to be truly insane as he showed no regret and appeared to be confused by the entire event. But those in the crowd felt that he was faking his insanity. They knew he was of sound mind, just a bit eccentric. Later, Davis decided to plead guilty of murder in the second degree. Judge Steiner, the presiding officer of the trial, was quoted in the Wenatchee Daily World as having found the jury biased, resulting in the insanity verdict and therefore, during the appeal and acceptance of Davis's plea, stated the following. I do 
not see how the jury could find that you were so insane at the time that you were not to be responsible for your actions, where insanity is of such a slight nature that it doesn't amount to much. It is no excuse of the concession of a crime. The lawyers have wasted two days to make something out of nothing. Davis was sentenced to 20 years of hard labor at the Walla Walla State Penitentiary in southeastern Washington, just south of the Palouse Plains and north of the Blue Mountains. He eventually stated he was sorry and would gladly take McGee's place. But the actions of a single moment are not easily remedied over time. The story of McGee and Davis has traveled throughout the town of Leavenworth. When you visit the site of the Opera Bar, which sits near the current Loft Bar and Grill, you may notice a sense of eeriness as you walk by. Guests have mentioned sudden chills, even on hot days, and the aura of an unknown presence seems to float in the air. Is this the ghost of McGee, an innocent bystander who is victim to the rantings of a drunken man? Take a stroll down the 800 block of Front Street and be aware of the possibilities that something may be watching you, may be following you. You never know what or who it could be. This episode is sponsored by Pride Counseling. We live in a world of mystery, of unanswered questions, of constant bombardment from endless opinions and mostly from questions within ourselves. I've taken advantage of online therapy and have seen the benefits as a professional, a father, a spouse, and a friend. And without the help from online counseling, I would most likely still be stuck in the ruts of uncertainty and bleakness. We all struggle with our own true nature at one point or another, or we know someone who has. Therapy can be the difference between happiness and overwhelming darkness. Pride Counseling is affordable, private online counseling for the LGBTQIA community. You can get access to licensed, trained, fully accredited counselors and therapists that are LGBTQIA friendly. These counselors and therapists have at least three years of experience, at least 2,000 hours of hands-on experience, and are qualified and certified by their state's professional board. All you need to do is go to pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. Fill out a questionnaire, get matched with the counselor who is perfect for you, and you can start counseling today. It's more affordable than in-person counseling. And if you can't afford counseling, there is financial aid available that you can apply for. You get unlimited 24-7 messaging with your counselor, meaning you're connected with a counselor the entire time via your phone or computer. And you can schedule live video, phone or text sessions with your counselor as well. With Pride Counseling, you're not wasting time traveling, and if you don't vibe with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch. Best of all, you connect from the comfort of your home. Half the battle of getting into counseling is getting to the counselor, and Pride Counseling eliminates that hassle. Plus, a lot of people in the LGBTQIA community are not comfortable talking to a therapist in person, out of fear of discrimination, or perhaps they just don't have access to a therapist that specializes in what they're struggling with. With Pride Counseling, you can connect with an LGBTQIA counselor from anywhere. And as a special offer to Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. That's P-N-W-P-O-D. Again, that link is pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. Thank you to Pride Counseling for sponsoring this podcast.
blowing that whistle for? You see that? See what? That? That train ahead. Oh, Lord. Stop the train! I'm trying. It's a cold winter's night in 1892, near the town of Kashmir, just east of Leavenworth. Snow covers the hills, and the darkness sucks away all feeling of hope and calmness. Flurries of snow drift across the track, and as you peer out of the engine's open window, you hold a candle lantern and squint ahead. Approximately 300 yards in front of you, a headlight of a locomotive shines through the mist. What the hell is he doing? I don't know, but but I'm not worried. Not worried? Are you crazy? He's gonna hit us! Ah, that's just the train of Tom Cipher. Engine 33. No need to fret. What? Are you telling me that's the ghost train? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He can outrun us backwards faster than we can go forwards. But, but it's a ghost. We gotta get out of here. Don't you know the story of Tom Cipher? Well, yeah, all of us do, all the engineers. But still, I don't want to be around for this. Without warning, the headlight seems to rise into the air as if the ghost locomotive was levitating. And then, it was gone. In the dark winter months of 1890, a train engineer named Tom Cipher met his demise while his train was passing by Leavenworth heading to Kashmir. Cipher was known as one of the best engineers in the business. He would often take the routes that no one else was willing to take, with overloaded cars of coal, lumber, and overnight passengers. Cipher would take on any task. He loved the tracks, loved the adventure, and he loved the solitude. He would take routes that kept him awake for nearly 24 hours straight, crossing the dark forests and the frozen rivers of the Cascade Mountains. Due to the frozen track, the piles of snow covering the rails, and the possibility of an overloaded cargo, Cypher's train derailed, sending him crashing into a gorge. His body was never recovered, and as he was the only one on the train during that particular route, the truth behind the derailment was never discovered. There were rumors that he had been asleep, had failed to slow the train in an oncoming curve in the rails, or had been drinking. However, being known as a solid member of the Engineer Brotherhood, it was finally decided that the derailment was an unavoidable accident. Tom Cipher died at an early age, unnecessarily, but according to local engineer legend of the early 1900s, his ghost train could be seen in and around Leavenworth by those working the tracks. The haunting headlight from his locomotive an eerie blue, would shine through the blustering snow and appear to be heading directly at the front of other trains. The light would suddenly rise straight up and then disappear into nothing. Is this Tom's way of warning engineers to slow down? Was he intent on drawing attention to the potential dangers that lay ahead? Tom's story still carries on, although the ghost train has not been seen for over 80 years. 
Whatever it is that the engineers saw, the stories have stayed consistent over time, and the travelers became accustomed to seeing the apparition, often without worry or trepidation. Tom Cipher's death was perhaps necessary to warn others. Maybe it's his mysterious death that saved the lives of others, and his presence, while ghostly and unexplainable, was the event that would lead others to prosperity and good fortune. The town of Leavenworth remains a town of unknown mystery, with hidden stories that shape who we are today. With over a million visitors a year, the town founders over 140 years ago were intent on creating a lasting oasis in the Cascade Mountains, born of earthly riches, nature's bounty, and explorer's dreams. Would they be proud of the way that their town is flourishing today in the manner that it is? Did they ever think they would escape fires flee collapsing mines, and endure the harsh winters just to see their town become one for tourists and travelers? In all honesty, I think they would be proud. The resilience of the town is seen in its people, and today, when you visit and meet those that call Leavenworth their home, you'll be greeted with a friendly face, a warm smile, and a firm handshake. The ferocity of the town's history is the lifeblood of the town's presence, and the strength of the town's future. When you visit, make sure to ask the shop owners about the history of their buildings. You might just hear a ghost story that many don't. A story that will have you looking over your shoulder, wondering if that was just a gentle breeze you walked through, or a ghost of the past. A shadow from beyond the veil.
Thanks for listening to the inaugural season of Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest, Season 1, Ghosts and Shadows of Leavenworth. This has been a four-part series diving into the untold stories and history of Leavenworth. If you like this show, please give it a rating and a review, and share it with your friends and co-workers, and anyone else you think might enjoy stories of the unknown. Without those reviews and ratings, the show will stay as hidden as the mysteries it portrays. Next season on Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest, we dive into the life of one of Washington's most notorious serial killers, Billy Gole. A union worker on the docks of Aberdeen, Washington, Billy is said to have killed over 100 people. Sailors trusted him with their money and their lives. Some of them found themselves trapped on ships heading to China. Some of them never took another breath. Gray's Harbor became known as Floater's Fleet, and his trapdoor of death became infamous across the country. Stay tuned for Billy Gole, Choking on the Ashes, wherever you get your podcasts. You may enjoy my other podcast, Something Cryptid, This Way Comes, where we dive into the creatures of the Pacific Northwest and beyond, and you're immersed into stories that will set your hair on end. Available on Ghana Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Visit us online on Facebook and Instagram. Links are in the comments. Dialogue used in this episode is not necessarily accurate, but is based on extensive research and events portrayed throughout the episode. If you'd like to get in contact with any ideas, feedback, or possibly sponsorship, just send me an email at russ at ommstories.com. That's russ at ommstories.com. For Old Mountain Media, I'm your host, Russ Blackmore, writer, producer, and sound engineer. Special thanks to Kira Rugen for our closing music. You can learn more about Kira and her music at kirarugen.com. I hope you enjoyed this season as much as I enjoyed making it. We'll see you next time for Season 2.